Hello, welcome to episode 45 of the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programmers podcast. Once again, a bored man has got access to a microphone and we use it to be wrong on the internet. I am that bored man and my name is Graham Lee. The topic of this episode is information security. And of course, this comes at the, uh, well, well, what is hopefully the end for at least the main project, although certainly not the end for people who depend on them, of um, a bad time for the Log4j uh, project, which is part of the Apache Software Foundation. Um, they have a problem where it is possible to get a program running Java to load a program from the internet, to load Java class from the internet and run its code as part of the logging framework. And they released a patch, and that patch is also vulnerable to a remote, uh, remote code execution exploit. This is not a podcast about them specifically or that exploit. It's uh, you know a, an unfortunate feature of the way that uh, Java was designed as an internet-enabled um, platform back in the 1990s uh, that still hasn't you know, been fully addressed in the same way that many security issues from, say, the Unix uh, platform still haven't been addressed in modern Unix environments. I want to look at why it is that people in the software development world don't have information security and software security as a core part of their practices. Uh, so you know, not like, why does this project have a vulnerability, but why did none of the um, software projects that depended on Log4j uh, check whether their software was vulnerable to remote code execution? Why did they not like, build threat models? What are the lack the the you know, what are the things the capabilities the skills the processes the tools whatever that we lack that means that we're still producing insecure software and still depending on insecure software like you know at least four decades after software security problems like the morris worm and so on uh, became understood and that the idea of uh, information security was current in fact you know we could go back to before the days of unix unix was a derivative of the Multics system, which had a very deliberate approach to things like um, privilege isolation. Uh, so, you know, the idea that um, there was some level of protection required for software systems was understood in the 1960s. Why are we still dealing with these problems today? And, you know, I include myself in the collection of people who aren't taking a systematic approach to information security uh, those of you who've known me for a long time will know that um, I used to work for a uh, security software company a company making antivirus software but even they did not have good security processes so I can point to a couple of things that happened uh, there one was that our main signing certificate for software updates expired. Um, actually, the root expired, uh, which meant that all of the leaf certificates were invalid and um, no new leaves could be issued. 
uh, and this expired while the CTO was on holiday. Um, and he was the only person who had the um, passphrase for the private key for the root level certificate. And it basically blocked um, software updates for a time. And like there, there was no process for saying, we depend on this um, certificate chain, on this like secure sockets layer, uh, an X509 based system. And we need to like know when the key events are and plan around these key events. That wasn't part of this security software company's um, modus operandi. And also they got into a fight uh, with a security researcher at Google uh, because they basically said that like you know Google didn't take security seriously and then this uh, researcher published I think three separate articles each of which detailed multiple flaws in their product and I know that at least one of the flaws was something that I had internally uh, reported and um, it was it was decided it wasn't high enough priority priority to fix so even the security software companies are not doing software security themselves particularly well they are selling solutions to the problems they didn't cause but causing other problems along the way and I was part of this ecosystem so I learned a lot about software security I uh, distilled that knowledge into a book um, professional cocoa application security which was like the only as far as I'm aware um, information security book specifically for Mac software developers uh, it may still be the only one ever actually uh, it certainly was the only one at the time which would have been about 2009-2010 um, yeah I've been involved in uh, DEFCON I've been involved in uh, security B-sides um, and yet I still you know, don't consider information security as like you know as something that I do particularly well and particularly embedded into my software development thinking and I am sure that like there are people who do it better than me and people who do it worse than me uh, and that the median is going to be somewhere that is not doing it particularly well so partly there's uh, an image problem I think there are four problems um and like one of them is an image problem that like developers tend to think that they are the people who produce the software um, and that they are not the people doing security you have like the um the sort of suit security people who are the uh, ciwsps uh the cisos you know the um people who are on the sort of risk mitigation risk analysis uh, governance uh, side of things who are good at like policy strategy um, you know, management um, but maybe don't have a good relationship with developers or like not a consistently good enough relationship with developers that developers and suit security people are uh, frequently in contact throughout their ecosystem throughout the software development uh, profession and so that means that like you know the security stuff is being done by separate people from the uh, from the making the software which is done by other people uh, therefore there isn't like an integration of these two things and then you have like the combat trouser security people who are you know the people who uh, pop boxes 
uh, pwn systems you know they uh, use a very um strong and different cyberpunky technical vernacular to discuss security they uh you know tend to look down on people who write insecure software uh, and thus, again, don't build a particular uh, rapport. You know, they see these people as losers who are, you know, creating crappy software, not as people who need, like, you know, guidance and help and support uh, to build better software and to make the world better. Because the the sort of value structure of that combat trouser world of security is on finding vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, there's this phrase that if you reward firefighting, then you breed a culture of arsonists. And, uh, you know, things like bug bounty programs, which are an important part of a software landscape, but are depended on too much. Uh, you know, a lot of um, companies aren't doing very good software security internally, and so all of their vulnerabilities are being found by the firefighters. Therefore, we have a culture of arson. So there are many people taking information security seriously. Unfortunately, they aren't the same people who are writing the software. Um, the second problem would be a tools problem. And it's just that it, you can't automate this stuff because it, like, it, it goes across the entire of the software development space. The design of your software system has security implications in fact the choice of problem to solve has security implications and so you can't automate more than some very basic like language conformance and this is where we run into problems with like the people who are you know selling say programming languages which uh, don't allow insecure software to be written well it's very easy to automate like the uh, CERT C secure coding guideline, for example. In fact, a lot of it is automated in the, um, oh, sorry, the CERT C secure coding standard. Uh, a lot of that is automated in tools like the um, scan build analyzer. So, you know, you can write secure C just by turning on this, like, you know, this compiler pre-processor thing, uh, well, the analysis tool. Or you can do it in Rust. One of them requires that you learn Rust, and the other one requires that you carry on using C. Like, you know, it's almost uh, there's only drawbacks to learning Rust if your motivation is to um, to produce secure software. Uh, but other tools, you know, go somewhere between, um, like, unfortunately incompetent to willfully harmful. And I'm thinking of tools like NPM Audit um, or Dependabot. You know these things that will automatically scan your uh, the libraries that you use in, say, JavaScript project or a Python project, and will tell you uh, that there are known vulnerabilities in packages that you use. That information itself is useful. Unfortunately, the presentation of that information is often like counterproductive. So, uh, you know, I have um, a, a like open source project I'm working on at the moment called Global.Health, and I get the dependabot warnings all the time. I get things like critical vulnerabilities 
Now, critical to me says must fix now danger of like you know, being attacked, danger of data loss or corruption or exfiltration or whatever. But I get these warnings when there's a vulnerability in something that is depended on by my build script. My build script only runs on a you know on a, on a build system in a like you know CI environment. It doesn't like connect to the outside world. It isn't part of my like web service, for example. So the idea that this vulnerability can be exploited is uh, you know, is not likely. Therefore, to me, it is not critical that I patch it. But this tool will only tell me critical because all it knows is the severity of what would happen were this vulnerability to be exploited. Or conversely, it tells me that there's like a medium severity vulnerability, but it's in something that we use that's in, say, the way that we handle query strings. Well, you know, those are under the control of an attacker. That, that is definitely a likely entry point and route to compromise my system. Like, you know, I consider that much more important. Telling me that, like, you know, having a tool that tells you you must th fix these things when I don't think they should be fixed or, like, you know, just sweeps under the rug or, like, low priorities, things that definitely do need to be fixed, is a massive problem. It reduces my uh, dependency on the tool. It causes me to, like, not bother to pay attention to it. And that reduces overall the security posture of the application. Like you cannot tell me what the impact of a bug in the software that I use is without knowing the ways in which my software gets used and the ways in which it interfaces with that software and the ways in which it interfaces with the outside world and what assets it protects and what attackers would want to do with those assets. And so, you know, these tools like NPM Audit have no business telling me what the importance of these issues are. They should tell me these things are out of date. They should tell me there are vulnerabilities in these things. And then, you know, that should feed into information, which, of course, I don't have because I don't have the uh, systematic approach to security that let me decide or let our team decide which ones are the ones to prioritise fixing. Now, I've already talked about the, uh, the, you know, the firefighters, the culture of arsonists. And, of course, the other problem is that we don't have a culture of, like, uh, of fire avoidance. You know, if you say, well, I um, fixed a critical vulnerability in our software, well, congratulations, you did that. If you say, I drew a an arrow on a UML diagram 12 years ago that meant that we didn't have a critical vulnerability in our software today. Nobody's measuring that. Nobody's congratulating you for that. So there's no incentive to get this stuff right. And it would be very difficult to, uh, to work out a sort of metric that would permit that incentivization. If you go for like number of vulnerabilities detected well you can have no vulnerabilities detected by not looking or by nobody else looking or by like not responding to things that people are actually doing um you know if you uh like so try and think of any system that rewards 
not having security problems, uh, it's very hard to come up with one that act, where any sort of measurement would actually uh, like lead to a reduction in the security of the system. I think that's why you know even Microsoft are no longer uh, sort of pushing their um, yeah they, they they were very good at like a decade or so ago at uh, pr pushing threat modeling at pushing secure development life cycles they've kind of stopped doing that uh, and I think it's because there's no way that you can actually sort of measure the performance of these things actually with something as big as Windows you can probably imagine that like the background rate of you know attacks and things is high all the time because attacking windows is part of a blended threat to attack whatever software anybody is running on almost any computer uh, and so you could imagine just you know counting like bugs discovered or uh, or bugs exploited from the outside or something uh, you couldn't do that for a really you know fairly small niche project like global.health uh, and then finally there's a process problem uh, and probably like the reason that the process problem exists is because all of these other problems exist you know there's no um like the infosec is somebody else's problem it's not part of the developer's image uh, there aren't good tools for helping developers with it and there isn't good prestige for avoiding security problems Therefore, it isn't part of any software development process. Like, explicitly, you know, Scrum doesn't mention information security. Uh, XP doesn't mention information security. Waterfall doesn't mention information security. You have to look for a secure development lifecycle. And then people say, well, why are we doing this? You know, we're not a government agency. We're not an intelligence organization. We're not military. Like, you know, why should we be... Uh, using a secure life cycle instead of a fast to market life cycle. If you, uh, you know, go, go back over the podcast where I've talked about the failings of things like Agile and, and Scrum and so on, it's always been about the fact that while we're supposed to have a sustainable pace of steadily adding customer value, it's actually treated as a how do we get faster and faster at, uh, you know, at, delivering soft like software by the bushel well anything that makes you ask have we done this right have we avoided uh, any risks have we like made sure that this software is safe to use is going to slow down that process and so it is going to be in line for deletion when trying to improve your velocity if you're uh, you know taking this flawed approach to software engineering so that's the problem, and you know, I I am actually in a sort of pretty negative frame of mind about this problem at the moment. Um, like, what is to be done? Well, there's already plenty of people doing things. You know, there is information out there about application security, about software security, about secure development practices, um, and the problem is that this isn't part of the continuing education of software developers. So we can look at groups like the Open Web Application Security Project, who don't only do uh, web apps; they do like mobile applications as well. Um, and yeah, you know, we can say that they've got good materials; they've got good uh, information. Uh, it's like easy to find and to use. Now, what we need is for people to find it and to use it. Um, 
we should look to like other uh, advocacy groups or developer groups and require them to include security considerations. You know, we should be saying to uh, to like the vendors. You know, so Microsoft, when you do a Xamarin conference, okay, you have a talk on security, and of course you have the Blue Hat Security Conference. But now put those things together. Like, you know, let's have the this is how you develop a Xamarin app. Mention security and talk about the security practices. Like, not as a separate please go and watch this talk but just like here's what you do you know make it what you do when you're a member of this platform uh apple you have your security and your privacy talks at wwdc but like don't make it a separate thing that i have to go and learn about security separate from swift ui tell me how i write a swift ui application taking security in uh, into mind um and then like the third party groups as well uh, so Stack Overflow, if there's a question that is asked about writing software on an internet platform, that software is going to be remotely accessible. There's, the answer should take security into consideration. Um, the same goes for like, Dev.2, same goes for Microsoft Channel 9, same goes <clears throat> for like you know, whatever forums you take part in, whatever, uh, like Brum.js, you know, local developer groups you go to there, there should be security content for developers in those developer groups it shouldn't be a separate book that you buy or a separate conference talk that you go to or even a separate event that you sign up for it should be part of the continuing education of software developers and it needs to be in the basic curriculum it needs to be like if you get the um, teach yourself Python in 21 days, one of those days needs to be security. If you do a computer science degree, part of that degree should be software security. If you do a course on software architecture, part of it should be architecting for security. This needs to be part of how people learn to build software because when it isn't, it's something that like if we're lucky they come across and try to integrate into their work but then meet the countervailing um, situation and force that everybody else isn't building it into their work and is kind of getting away with it we need to stop getting away with it and we're not going to do that through market forces like that that has been demonstrated to fail that has failed over the last few decades it needs to be part of the professional expectation of developers as the things like using type systems and you know, having automated test suites is part of the professional expectation of developers in certain sort of subsets of software engineering. So taking security seriously needs to be part of that culture, part of that expectation, part of the way that we work. It needs also continuing awareness. It needs to be something not that you like write your software and then you do the security or then you do the penetration testing, which is as much as you'll get from a lot of companies. It needs to be something that is constantly you know, asked. Every iteration, every sprint, there needs to be a security question asked. And the answer can be, actually, we're doing that well or actually that question is irrelevant. That is absolutely fine as long as it's being considered. And that points to it being integrated into the process not just like writing um sort of uh, anti 
cross-site scripting measures or formatting um, queries so that you can't inject uh, extra elements into a query. But the design parts of the process need to take security into consideration as do operations concerns like monitoring and response. This idea of like DevSecOps, which theoretically doesn't give us anything new over DevOps, except that people don't take security seriously. So, you know, calling it out as a separate idea, is it in fact valuable? That should just be how software is done, right? That whether you're writing the software or using the software or deploying the software for other people, the security should be part of all of it. Unfortunately, it isn't at the moment, but we do have enough of the pieces to be able to build this and to be able to build this cheaply. All we need to do is to take it seriously and convince other people to take it seriously. That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for uh, listening. Of course, any feedback you have, you can email me, grahamlee at acm.org. You can find me on Twitter, IWASLEEG, I-W-A-S-L-E-E-G. Thank you very much. Happy holidays for those who observe the holidays, and I will talk to you again soon.